I'd like to invite all the children in the congregation forward, and everyone else can be seated. Children, if you'd bring a parent with you. Yeah, if you make a semicircle here, if you parents, if you want to sit on the pew there, that's okay. I know it's kind of hard for us to get up and down as easily. <laughs> All right, let's have a seat. <sighs> Eli's going to sit next to me. That's all right. <laughs> what have I got on? A crown. What do crowns indicate? Kings, right? Yeah, absolutely. Why might I have a crown on today, do you suppose? Yeah. Because Jesus is the king. Actually, that's right. You've actually skipped to the end of my sermon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you get one thing from this, it's that. So, very good. Good answer. Who else might wear kings? It might wear crowns. Yeah, Charlie. Because um, it's, it's a special year? Hmm, going the liturgical route. That kind of makes sense, Charlie. Um, yeah. In today's gospel reading, who did we hear about? The wise men. Yeah. And King Herod, yeah, there are lots of kings. King Jesus, King Herod, the wise men. One of the things that our reading shows us is that not all kings are equal, right? Um, and I'm wearing a crown today because we're celebrating what's called the Feast of the Epiphany, where the kings, they're sometimes called, but in the Bible they're called wise men or magi, come to visit Jesus, the new king. Right? They're seeking out Jesus. They tell King Herod that. And the wise men are looking for Jesus, and they're looking for Jesus. Why? Yeah. Because Jesus is the forever king. Well, yes. And, in fact, they know about Jesus about to be born, and so they bring him some gifts. They bring him some gifts. Who can tell me what the gifts are? Cora. Well, you got all three. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, you guys know what gold is, right? Gold's what money used to be made out of. Um, and it's very expensive. I don't have a piece of gold to show you. Um, maybe someday in the future. Um, but I do have with me some frankincense and myrrh. I want you to take a sniff of this. Can you smell it? That's a mixture of frankincense and myrrh. Can you smell it?
Anybody else? <laughs> ah, I love it. It's incense, right? And so this is actually what gets put onto that gold thing that Emily, our acolyte, waves around. Today, it's a mixture of frankincense and myrrh. And we sung about that, right? That indicates a king. It indicates... Whoops, sorry, Eli. It indicates a king. It also indicates that Jesus is going to be a king that dies for his people because myrrh is used to anoint. And so we see that and we smell that in the liturgy today. And all because... Jesus is our king, right? So the wise men bring these gifts to Jesus to show what Jesus' life is all about, but they also bring it to him to worship him as not just their king, but their God. So Jesus is the king above all kings, all right? Now, just to help you remember that and remember that you're part of his kingdom, I've got some crowns for you, too. And your parents can help you with these. So I've got green, purple, and gold. You want to take one, Eli? Okay. Oh, oh, oh. They're kind of stuck together there. Lydia? Oh, there's some more. Thank you. You want the green one? Oh, let me get that one for you. That's really stuck. There. There you go. Charlie? That one? I think Charlie's got some more gold ones there. You've got a lot of them. Anyone that wants gold, see Charlie. All right. And Mary? Very good. All right, so go back with your parents, and you can uh, wear those. You can wear those the rest of the service. How about that? And then you can take them home with you, okay? Jesus is king, remember. Jesus is king. All right. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Anybody else need one? You're welcome. Sure. What color do you think she wants? Um, I'll just take gold. Okay. Great. <laughs> Jesus is king. Well, that sums it up, doesn't it? So here we are on Epiphany, talking once again about the wise men, talking once again about Jesus being our king. I want to focus today, though, on stars, on stars. You ever been out in the middle of the country where there's no ambient light and you see the radiance of the stars? The, the ones that you can see in the city are brighter. The ones that you can't see in the city start to illumine the sky. And you realize, at least if you're like me, and I think you probably are in this regard, you realize how little you are, how small you are, 
in a vast universe. Of course, we know in modern science that the stars are orbs of light, our suns, other galaxies, distant places. Stars occur in our Christmas decorations too, right? How many of you have stars somewhere on your house and you're decorating? Or have seen them around in the Christmas lights? Why do we decorate with stars? It goes back to the reason we use lights, actually, and that is that Jesus is the light of the world. And it recalls the fact that God marks the birth of the Savior with a star in the sky. In last week's gospel, we heard once again, as we heard on Christmas Eve from John 1, 10 through 14, that he, that is Jesus, was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So today, we not only celebrate those words once again, the light that is Jesus, we also celebrate the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, not just for the God's chosen people in the Old Testament, the Jews, but for the Gentiles too, for the entire world, for all nations. And so there's three things that I'd like us to look at together. Number one, the star is a symbol of light and life to those ancient people and to us. Number two, the star is a symbol of rule and reign. And number three, the star is an opening shot in a battle. The star, light and life, a symbol of light and life. Stars, well today, as we've said, we don't pay stars that much heed, right? We might go out and look at them and admire them once in a while, maybe contemplate our smallness and the vastness but in the ancient world, there was that idea in addition to other ideas. For example, Psalm 8, 3 through 4, we read, When I look at your heavens, O Lord, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? That's Psalm 8. But stars also seem to hold an innate sense of awe and reflection for people of all times. Their movement single signals many different things in the ancient world. Number one, you and I, if we want to know the date, what do we do? You look at a calendar, or you get out your smartphone and you open up the calendar app, right? You know the date, the time. At your fingertips, you can look at the waxing and waning of the moon, right? Maybe with a weather app. Remember, that is not something that most people have experienced. What were stars to people up until recent time? They were the ways by which they lived. They were the calendar. And if you got it wrong, you didn't eat. If you planted your food in the wrong time of the year, it wouldn't ripen and you'd starve. So stars 
were a symbol of power and light, right? Their rhythm gave a sense of stability to life. They were unchanging. They were stable. When everything else was changing, when any army could come over the hill and take over your territory, right? Well, at least you had the stars. At least they were fixed. We take that for granted today. But in ancient times, farmers and all people relied on the stars. And in ancient Babylon, the people that understood the stars, and this just blows my mind because when I look at the stars, I think, oh, that's pretty. But I would never be able to assemble a calendar or tell the time of the year by them, right? But in the ancient world, the people actually who mapped that out were considered second only to the gods. They were the wise men. They were the powerful. They were those that kept that special knowledge which held life and death within it. And in the Latin and the Greek, from which we get the word wise men, the word is magos. Magos, from which we also get the word magnificent. Right? The idea of greatness. These were great men, some kind of combination of prince, priest, scholar, astrologer. They were privileged for their time beyond all others. Like I said, in the, for the Babylonian kingdom, they actually were considered priests in the ancient days. So stars meant not just food and life, but order and stability. And there was a third component, too, they meant omens, fortunes, what the future held. The star, the movement of the stars, showed rule and reign, the second point to this sermon. Not just light and life, but rule and reign. We know, looking from our, at our gospel passage there, and I invite you to look at it with me, in the Luke or in the Matthew passage, chapter 2, verse 2, that what are these wise men looking for? They come to King Herod saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, you and I are so familiar with this story that we just say, well, yeah, of course. But there's not, no of course here for a modern mind. They were looking at the stars, which announced to them the birth of a new king. What the heck is going on there? Why would the orientation of the stars have anything to do with looking for a new king? Right? The wise men were studying the stars because the stars held omens within them. But in addition to that, these wise men were scholars. And so the scholars knew this passage from Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, that Christian read for us in the first lesson. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. 
and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. Do you see? In addition to studying the stars, these were studiers of Scripture. They knew the Hebrew Scriptures. How do I know that? Well, there were Jewish communities throughout the Middle East, not just in modern-day Israel, but spread throughout the Roman Empire. And in fact, we know because of the Old Testament and the book of Daniel that there were magi in the courts of these foreign kings. And these magi weren't just studiers of stars. They were studiers of the prophets, of the scriptures, of the holy books, of different cultures. In Daniel 5.11, Daniel is actually made chief of the magi in the Old Testament. Do you remember the story? This is the same Daniel in the lion's den that you might recall as a kid. This is later on. Daniel's made chief of all of King Nebuchadnezzar's wise men and his sons too. And so word was, the word of God was implanted in those other cultures, or at least a way to seek God was implanted in all of those other cultures from years before Jesus Christ was ever born. Word had also reached Rome, by the way. Roman historian Suetonius and Tacitus both foretell the coming of a powerful king. In Suetonius's work, The History of Emperor Vespasian, he writes this, he writes, there had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was ill-fated at that time for men coming from Judah to rule the world. I'm sorry, that it was fated rather, not ill-fated. That it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. That's a Roman secular historian who has no interest in the Jewish religion. And you know, when Julius Caesar died, there was a comet that came near the earth. And the Romans took that as a sign that Julius Caesar had been taken up to God as a son of God. Julius Caesar adopted a son. Do you know that son's name? It's beginning, it's, it's the only emperor, well, no, it's, it's the emperor listed in Luke at the beginning of the birth of Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, Julius Caesar's adopted son, also known as Octavian. That's kind of confusing. Octavian's his other name. But he called himself Caesar Augustus. And you know what he wore on his helmet? A star. Do you know what he put, minted on his coins? On one side was his image, Caesar Augustus. On the other side was what? Guess. A star. And with that star were the words, Deus Julius, divine Julius, son of God. That was the money that was circulating at this time. But of course, one thing's sure, whether 
just uh, one thing is sure is that the, the word of this new reign was out there. And the appearance of a star was attached not just with light and life, but rule and reign. Herod, too, another king, knew about this star, didn't he? Notice, Herod also has wise men. Look with me again at the gospel passage. Verse 2, they came to him saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests, the scribes, and the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, that is the Messiah, was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For you shall come, a ruler who will shepherd my people. Look at verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And Herod, of course, gives that deceptive motive that he too wants to come and worship this new king. You see, anyone who was in power at the time of this star would have had their world rattled. Because this star... The image, the stars, the image of order and stability had changed. And this new star which had appeared was going to change the order and stability of the entire world. It was an opening shot against the known world. Luke 2.16, we read that tells the rest of the story of how Herod reacts to the coming of the wise men. We read at the end of today's passage that the wise men offer their gifts to the Christ and then they're warned in a dream to return by another way. But if we continue reading, we come to that gruesome passage next of Herod killing all the children, the holy innocents, who could potentially be the new king, the Messiah. The Christ. The star is the opening shot that's reacted to with violence, that's reacted to from those in power, a corrupt, terrible king with a terrible, ruthless action. But of course, as we heard on Christmas Eve, the opening shot wasn't just against Herod, it wasn't against Caesar Augustus, it actually was against their masters. Rather, it was against Satan, the devil, the person behind the evil rulers. We read in Revelation chapter 12, verse 12, St. John the Divine tells us, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And so this star is an indication that his time is up, or almost up. His time is short. The appearance of the star, the sign of light and life, is a great irony, too. Those of you that study the scriptures, what is Satan and the devil's other name? 
Lucifer, light bearer. Do you see the irony? The opening shot against Lucifer, the light bearer, the fallen angel, is a star, a light, the true light, showing forth Christ. Of course, we know that this infant Jesus will grow up and teach and perform miracles and fulfill the law completely. He'll suffer and die on the cross and rise again and ascend to sit at the right hand of the Father. And while the light of the star is gone today, the light of the church remains and was passed down through the apostles. Look at the Ephesians passage, chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 specifically. This is St. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Chapter 3, verse 8, we read, To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light, to bring to light for everyone that, that is what is in the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. But this is not just in the words of St. Paul the Apostle. You and I are stars. St. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. And what he continues by saying, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So you see, this is our job too, friends. Not just an apostolic job, but the job of the entire church to spread the light of Christ to preach to the Gentiles, and to us, that's to those nations gathered around us, the unsearchable riches that we might take for granted in Christ Jesus. It's to remind ourselves that we're sons and daughters of a king with great riches. As Jesus himself says to us in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Epiphany is a season of light. It's a season of evangelism. It's a season of shining in the darkness. May you and I, as we take those Christmas decorations down, remember that we continue throughout the rest of the year to be the stars reflecting the light of Jesus Christ, the one light who's come into the world. Amen.